stand by while NCLA cuts through the noise to signal abuse of administrative power. This is Administrative Static with Mark Chenoweth and John Vecchione. Welcome to Administrative Static. John Vecchioni and Mark Chenoweth with you. And uh, Janine Eunice is not with us because uh, she has uh, she's on maternity leave and has uh, given birth to a beautiful baby boy, which yes. is very exciting. She's become the most recent birthing person. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure that's how she would say that, John. But, oh, I'm positive it's not. <laughs> but, uh, uh, but in any event, uh, uh, we are delighted to be joined uh, by our colleague, Jeanette Brown, a senior litigation counsel uh, here at uh, the New Civil Liberties Alliance, to talk about a couple of things that, that she's been uh, uh, up to recently. Welcome back to Administrative Static, Jeanette. Thank you. It's good to be here. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Uh, can you maybe get a little closer to the mic? Perfect. Uh, so the first one I wanted to, to talk about, so this week uh, you uh, led an effort in the U.S. Court of Appeals for the District of Columbia uh, in a lawsuit against the Environmental Protection Agency over a, uh, over a rule that they uh, have issued that, that has uh, some problems uh, with it. Can you uh, tell us a little bit about that, that rule and what, you know, why is NCLA concerned about this? Why are, uh, who's the client and why are they concerned about this rule? Sure. This has been an ongoing battle that we've really sort of picked up uh, recently. The client is Choice Refrigerants. They're a small American refrigerants company based in Georgia. Um, and the issue is the EPA and Congress. Um, so in 2020, Congress passed a law to phase down the use of certain products used in refrigeration. One of those products um, our client has a patent in, um, and other of their products are subject to law as well. It's a cap and trade program. So basically, in, by 2036, the industry will be, be reduced by 85%. The problem is Congress has decided the EPA can decide who gets to stay in that last 15% of the business and every step of the way between here and there. Um, and so EPA, ha that's number one, an improper uh, grant of legislative power to the EPA. And then number two, EPA has used that power unwisely. Uh, so this uh, the, uh, the case is RMS of Georgia LLC doing business as Choice Refrigerants v. U.S. Environmental Protection Agency and Michael S. Regan, administrator of the EPA. Uh, this case is consolidated with uh, with another case. Is there anything that's relevant for our audience there, or it's really the same the same issue? It's not at all the same issue. The okay. only reason it's consolidated the dis the the court did that sort of sua sponte. They both are addressed to the same rule, but they're completely different challenges. Um, it, the other challenge is actually brought by one of our competitors. Gotcha. Um, and it does not raise any of the constitutional issues. Okay. Uh, well, that's often the case that NCLA is focused on the constitutional issues when others are not. So that's uh, that's very much keeping uh, keeping in form. So you, you said that, that the problem here is both with uh, Congress uh, and the EPA. Um, so when, uh, when, the, the, uh, when Congress passed this law, the AIM Act, uh, 
it, it, I mean, if you look at the statute, it looks like there's quite a bit of detail in there. And, and the EPA seems to, that seems to be part of their defense too, is what are you talking about? There's a whole lot of specifics uh, in here. So why, why, why is it that, that the, from your standpoint and your client's standpoint, why is it that this law doesn't meet the level of specificity that would be required uh, under, under the Constitution? The AIM Act, which Congress passed, does have various standards, statements, guidance, but none of them related to this specific grant of power, the grant to say who gets to stay in this existing industry and by what percentage of the market. So, for instance, our client believes that their uh, allowances or their market share was reduced by roughly 30 percent, more than it should have been, even with the phase down. Um, so that's that's right. So they were disproportionately affected by what EPA did. Exactly. And some of that was was global across the industry because EPA decided to let new people in. And so EPA didn't, for instance, just ratchet down the existing market players. They let new people in. And then some of it is other decisions that the EPA made, none of which were controlled or guided by Congress. And so, in other words, that Congress was very specific in some parts of the statute, but with this part of the statute, they left it fairly wide open for, for EPA's discretion, which they were not entitled to do. Yes, and it's, that harkens this case back very much to the Panama refining and Schecter poultry cases from 1935, where the Supreme Court struck down subsections of a statute, because even though the statute itself had a dozen general policy statements, had limitations in certain provisions and not in others, it did not have provisions in that statute that granted the power that was being challenged. Same thing here, almost exactly, except here the AIM Act has no policy statements, has even less guidance that's relevant to the specific power that we're challenging. Do you think the D.C. Circuit might be more willing to strike this down since what you're asking for is just for a, a small portion of a statute to be set aside rather than the entire entirety of the statute? Intuitively, that would be the case. But the reality is this small piece is critical. It is the heart for the market players. It is the, the method by which it's determined who can bring these refrigerants into the country or produce them and consume them and who cannot. And so when they strike it down, the practical effect would be uh, a fairly significant disruption. EPA, well, Congress would have to go back to the drawing board, really. EPA cannot fix this issue on its own. Because it's a constitutional issue in terms of allocation of legislative authority. And because the whole point is that EPA cannot legislate, so therefore they can't fix what's not in the statute by legislating something into the statute. Sure. Uh, one of the things that, that you said in, in the brief that, that struck me in, in talking about the allocation, and I may not get this right because I'm just going from memory, but uh, something along the lines of this would be as if uh, as if you uh, someone had just purchased a house and the government came along to allocate rights to the property and instead of allocating it to the homeowner, allocated it to the real estate agent. Can you explain that analogy? I thought that was really uh, clarifying. Yeah, that's uh, because of the way the EPA decided to allocate statute the allowances, which was in part based on a greenhouse gas reporting program that EPA created a decade ago that's not referenced in the AIM statute. Uh, EPA decided, okay, we're going to use that regime. But then going beyond that, um, even under that regime and under EPA's original rule, 
there were about five different agents that could potentially be credited with an allowance for an import. The way that EPA chose to do it, Choice was not granted the allowances for the products that was imported to the United States and shipped directly to its facility to create its patented product for distribution. Those went to basically a shipping agent, a former business partner, who was not in the business of producing our patented chemical. Yeah, that, I mean, that just seems, I mean, you'd like to think it's an oversight or something, but that's the kind of thing that happens when uh, you know, agencies aren't, when they don't have direction from Congress, they're left to their own devices. Sometimes they do something that's of greater administrative convenience for the agency. Oh, we already have this list of who did what or, you know, that kind of thing, rather than actually allocating it according to who the real players and producers in the industry are. Well, there's another analogy, too, which is some of the allowances were granted to a uh, Chinese company that pirated some of our products. And some so, of your patented product. Yes, yeah. some of our clients' patented product. And so it's as though you're giving a Salesman of the Year award to the guy who stole the TV out of the back of Walmart and sold it on the street. That's part of the problem with, with what the EPA is doing. And I find that one in particular ironic because the EPA is like, well, we don't address, you know, counterfeiting, anti-dumping statutes, Um but, of course, there's this whole-of-government approach under this administration where any agency addresses basically anything they choose to. <laughs> Which we'll be, be discussing later. later. <laughs> yeah, boy, preview. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, it, it, it's not only ironic, but you would think that if you asked any member of Congress, I literally mean any member of Congress, well, maybe not Eric Swalwell, but if you asked any other member of Congress, hey, we're going to be reducing the amount of uh, of players in this industry and who can produce what, who should be the first person to lose their allocation? Hey, maybe it's the uh, maybe it's the Chinese company that's pirating the material in the first place. Maybe they should lose allocation. I, I would think you'd probably get about about 425 or 434 members of Congress to go along with that. Yeah, well, and I refer to it as the AIM Act, but it's the American Innovation and Manufacturing Act, right? So it is focused on promoting a transition within the United States. Hence the irony of... <laughs> of One of the ironies. Yes, right. Uh, absolutely. So uh, where does this stand now and what's the next uh, step? Uh, so we and I, um, our competitor had filed petitions challenging the rule. EPA keeps creating new rules because there's new steps in this phase down. And, and new sort of periods, time periods. Yes. So there was a new framework rule released at the end of last year in October, and we've challenged that. The briefing should be done by May, including all the appendix and everything. So then we'll just wait for the D.C. Circuit. So that's the government uh, when you say it will be done by May. So your brief is filed first, then the government will respond, and then there'll be a reply brief, and then, then it'll all be ready for potential oral argument in front of the D.C. Circuit. Right, with some other logistics for the appendix, which is basically part of the administrative record. Right, because this case will be decided based on, in part, on the administrative record, although your constitutional points don't so much, aren't so much driven by the administrative record. Correct. Okay. That's right. Okay. Well, we have about 30 seconds left. So uh, what, what would you hope that our listeners would take away from, from this case, or, or maybe a better question, uh, what, what do you hope the outcome is here? Well, I hope the outcome is that we bring back limits on Congress giving power to administrative agencies that they don't belong, and Congress actually setting statutes that can drive companies out of business and setting the standards. 
Absolutely. Well, I hope for that too. Uh, again, Choice Refrigerants uh, v. EPA at the U.S. Court of Appeals for the D.C. Circuit. Thanks, Jeanette. Thank you.